Hello and welcome to Seeing Red. I'm Bethan. And I'm Mark and it is great to be back after our little hiatus. Yes, somebody went on holiday, didn't he? Well, you can't begrudge me for that. (laughs) Two weeks in the sun. Yeah, we hope you haven't missed us too much while we've been away or ditched us for some other podcast. Hopefully people are still listening to us alongside. I think there's enough space to listen to several. Yeah. I listen to quite a few on holidays. I listen to so many different podcasts. It's great fun. Thank you to our new Patreon supporters who have joined our exclusive club. We have Kathleen McNally and Kathy Stearns. And also Alana Baker. So thank you so much, everybody. We're always absolutely blown away when someone decides to support the show financially. And we're just delighted that this show is continuing to go from strength to strength. From such humble beginnings. Mm -hmm. That time in the cupboard. At work. Yeah, recording at work on our lunch hours. Me spending two months persuading you to start a podcast. (laughs) Oh, reminiscing. I think we probably like 40 episodes in now. Mm. I had something come up on my emails about it had been a year since we decided to start the podcast recently. Because obviously then we started prepping and and deciding what we were going to do, so... Hopefully you guys have noticed an improvement in the sound quality, if nothing <laughs> really else. I really hope so. Uh, season one, it was, yeah, really dodgy. I still don't think it's probably perfect, but it's a hell of a lot better than it was. Mm. And if you recommend the show to anybody, please tell them to start <laughs> with season two. Start with last episode or something. And if they get, if they really like it and they get desperate, they can go back to season one <laughs> and listen. But yeah, it was pretty shocking back then. Do you know what? We've had quite a few people who've mentioned to us on Instagram recently about the fact that they've just been binging all the episodes and how we're yeah, like, how I've can we get to work and yeah. stuff. And that just means the world to us. It's, it's lovely I to find hear. it weird to think people like in, for example, America are listening mm-hmm. at work, people on long car journeys, on planes. A lot of Aust- people in really Australia. Weird. That's really yeah. cool. Yeah, we've got loads in Australia. Amsterdam. But we've got some random countries where people listen. Mm-hmm. Saudi Arabia, Korea. So much fun. Loads of places in South America, yeah. I love it. Um, So today's case represents another first for Seeing Red. Um, This week we are turning our attention to drugs, more specifically drug smuggling. So I think we're kind of ticking off most things Mm. on our bucket list of crime. I don't think we've done this before, yeah. I don't think we have, no. We might have touched on it maybe. Mm. I don't know, we've definitely definitely touched touched on drugs. drugs, Yeah, yeah, Drugs feature heavily. Drug smuggling, interesting. So, classic me, I am taking us out of the UK once again and pushing those boundaries <sighs> mm-hmm. in a hint of what is to come later on this year you know for what the I, show. You know what I feel about this and you know how our social media followers are going to feel about this as well, Mark. But I'm easing you in. Hmm. So this story (laughs) takes us to Scotland, Northern Ireland, Ibiza, Mallorca, Barcelona and Peru. I wish you could have done like those in all the accents of the countries you named. Well, I I wouldn't... feedback for you there? Yeah, but I wouldn't really know what a Peruvian accent sounds Hmm. like. I could do Barcelona. That was beautiful. See, um, Northern Ireland I could do and Scottish I could do, Mm -hmm. but not now. Okay. I need to kind of warm up. I can do them later in the episode. (laughs) Do you remember Scottish Lisa from... The Nisha Patel Nasri yeah. episodes, mm-hmm. episode one of season two. Yeah. I did a, a wee did. Scottish accent. You did? I think I did anyway. I feel like you at least thought about it. Um, I at least thought about it, if not didn't do it, but did like a ranty voice <laughs> as Scottish Lisa. Mm. So um, anyway, enough of that shit. If you've ever seen the TV show Banged Up Abroad, then you will know the fate of a drug smuggler is often quite a brutal one. Have you ever seen that show? Joe, I haven't. I'm shocked at that. It it freaks me out, the idea of being arrested and put in jail abroad. 
because depending on which country, obviously, I'm not saying all countries, but oh my goodness, some of the prisons just look horrendous. And you're like cut away from your own country and your own, like, I don't your know. Your own language, yeah, your own culture. No, I don't like it. I don't think I want to watch it. And I think people moan in the UK about all the laws and policies and procedures, health and safety and all of that. But I kind of think, actually, that probably means our prisons aren't as bad mm-hmm. as some of those overseas. Don't get me wrong, I don't want to be in a British prison either. But Well, no. Yeah. I'd be in an open prison. I could deal with that. I don't think I, think I could. I think I could. I like my temper mattress. Oh, nice. Yeah. <laughs> Shall we see if we can get them as a sponsor? I can get a free one then. Oh, I paid a lot for mine. <laughs> well, we'll get you a cash incentive. <laughs> um, if you've not seen the show, um, then as we've kind of alluded to, it's about people that go abroad and get banged up. Uh, usually <laughs> it's for smuggling drugs. That seems to be the most common theme. Um, but it can be for other stuff as well. And sometimes it's about people that are held hostage. But the common theme is that they're quite often banged up abroad in quite poor countries. So countries in South America, as we're going to be visiting in this episode, countries in the Far East where the prisons are pretty dire and they certainly hark back to a more brutal era. Um, so if you're thinking kind of like cockroaches crawling over you and rats as you try and sleep, 10 people to a cell, lice in your food, then you wouldn't be far wrong. Ugh, mm. no. And I think, like you said, it would literally be my worst nightmare. And you wouldn't know, like, what's happening. You wouldn't... I feel like here you'd at least get some sort of, like, lawyer or representation where they come and they're like, this is what's going on. Whereas in this sort of scenario, you don't know how long you're there for. You don't know what's going on on the outside. You don't know if a lawyer has even been contacted on your behalf. Yeah. And as we'll see with this case, there's a lot of people in prisons abroad where they've not even received a sentence. So they are literally just languishing in jail. There's been no trial, no court hearing. And that's really, really common. Horrendous. So I think today's episode probably ticks all of the boxes of a classic episode of Banged Up Abroad, even though this case has never actually been featured on the show. But we've got two glamorous party girls. So if you're trying to picture that, think of Bethan. <laughs> 11 and a half. Oh, that's like the nicest thing you've that ever is. said That is. What's to wrong me? with me? Jesus, you have missed me. 11 and a half kilos of Colombia's finest cocaine. Ooh. Nice. And a shitty prison in Peru. Oh, two out of three. <laughs> yeah. So join us as we delve into the cautionary tale of the Peru 2. On the 6th of August in 2013, Michaela McCollum from Dungannon in Northern Ireland and Melissa Reed from Nowheresville in Scotland. Bit cruel Real of me. Place? No, I've just made it I up. I know, I was It like, was a small what? town, I couldn't be bothered to say it. Um, oh my God, we're definitely going to have someone who oh, listens well, from there now you've said that. I know. Both aged just 20, this pair were arrested at George Chavez International Airport in Lima in the South American country of Peru. The girls were attempting to smuggle £1.5 million worth of cocaine out of the country and into Europe. Delighted customs officials filmed the shame-faced pair as their cases were emptied and food packets hidden amongst their dirty clothes were opened and inspected. For any fact fans or foodies out there, the food packets were boxes of Quaker oats. And now I'm no porridge lover, but I'm pretty sure porridge oats aren't supposed to resemble a fine white powder. (laughs) No, because even powdered oats are pretty They're they're like a cream coloured and pretty coarse, yeah. You wouldn't want to shove those up your nose. Um, And customs officials were pretty sceptical too when they opened the packets to reveal the snow-like powder. 
The powder was immediately tested and found to be cocaine, surprise, surprise, and the girl's fate was sealed, but it wasn't supposed to turn out like this. In the spring of 2013, just two months before this scene unfolded in Peru, Michaela McCollum was growing tired of life in Northern Ireland. At 20, she had never been abroad, and having completed a photography course and undertaken some part-time work as a model, she now found herself working as a promotions girl for the many glamorous bars and clubs that Northern Ireland has to offer. Why are you looking at me like that? Because I'm, I'm taking the piss. I know, you're being rude I'm again. being really rude. I had to be rude to Scotland, so now I've been rude to Northern Ireland. But I am, of course, joking. I'm sure there's lots of nice places in Northern they Ireland. They just wouldn't let you in. Not now. So whilst this job may sound pretty cool for a 19, 20-year-old, the reality was quite different for Michaela. And I did used to know a girl that did this same job uh, back home in Birmingham. And I remember seeing her once on a cold November night at like half 11 at night, um, stored outside a bar in a bikini, trying to get people into Mm. that bar. And it's quite a humiliating job, really. So I think Michaela had quite rightly just had enough of it. I think as well, you just don't get paid that much. No. You have to just like... Get all glammed up. You don't make that much money. No, I think it's probably like minimum wage. You're probably on some kind of commission. Yeah. You're having to drag drunk people off the streets into a oh, bar. Oh, get so. roped all night. Yeah, like, absolutely. Out. Like this girl I knew was in a bikini. Yeah. And like the in owners of the bar center. didn't give a shit that no. it's November and it's half 11 at night. Um, yeah, I, I really hope you don't really get this so much now, but I think you probably do. You probably still do. I think you probably do. But as I said, Michaela had certainly had enough. So deciding to grab the ball by the horns and take charge of her life, she jacked in the job and announced to her family that she was heading to Ibiza to work as a dancer for the summer. In reality, she had no job lined up on the party island. Her parents were against the idea of her going away, and I think by saying that she had a job lined up there, she was probably just trying to kind of ease any worries that they may have had. Um, And if you think about it, she was only just 20. She was from a traditional corner of the world where it's quite normal for people to never set foot outside of Northern Ireland, get on a plane. So I think it was understandable that her family were definitely a bit worried Mm. about what might become of her out there. So I think, yeah, her saying she's got a job lined up, it just seems a bit more respectable, I guess. When Michaela arrived in Ibiza in mid-June, all of the seasonal jobs had already been taken. Oh my God, mid-June? Yeah. She thought she was just going to go over there and get a fucking job. Party season starts in like May. Yeah, and people probably get jobs from like, I don't know, from spring, certainly. Naive, I shouldn't call her an idiot. No, that's it. Yeah, that's unfair. She's she's very naive. So um, she spent the first week staying in a rundown hostel in an attempt to eke out what little money she'd taken with her. By a second week, things were looking up and she'd met a few people and made friends and one of them agreed to let her move into their apartment, but she had to sleep on the floor. So it's a bit like what you said about that guy. Mm. It's, you know, like the dream is very different to the reality oh once God. you're there. If you actually get a job in like a proper club, you're okay. Yeah. Everything else is just shit. So Michaela did manage to persuade her mother to send her money on a weekly basis and she wasted no time in getting stuck into all that Ibiza had to offer. A tall, attractive woman, she was never short of attention and soon she met an English DJ called Brad Houston. Recounting the five days they spent together, he remarked how he first noticed Michaela at a bar. She was sat in the corner at a table reading a book. He noticed her, went over, and the pair soon hooked up and spent five wild days and nights drinking and drugging. 
By this time, Michaela was lying to her family that she had started a job dancing in a club, but in reality, the only real job she had in Ibiza was at one of the most notorious bars, which I'm interested to know whether you've heard <laughs> of it, the Amsterdam, Amsterdam in San Antonio's so West End. Do you know it's it? It's so shit. It's horrendous. But if I remember rightly, when you go in, you get five drinks for five euros. So oh, you get like amazing. two tequila sunrise, a vodka lemonade, a shot and a glass of beer. I'm in, I'm in. <laughs> it was horrendous. It is awful. I also think though, that that's the, I can't remember because obviously I was in Ibiza and very drunk, but I'm pretty sure by Amsterdam is the one where everyone writes all their names all over the walls and all over the ceiling. Mm. So it's quite fun. So you can go back year after year and see all the different times that you were there. So much fun. So it's certainly a bar that's synonymous with drinking and cheap drinks, but it's also a bar that's synonymous with drugs. Um, Michaela was employed to sell shots at the bar working on commission, uh, but she was fired after one night when the bar owner noticed that she'd drunk most of the shots herself. (laughs) And I totally thought that's a girl after our own hearts, isn't it? We would be totally the same. (laughs) So though no longer working at the bar... Michaela continued to visit as a patron, and it was here that Michaela met a member of a South American drug gang who was looking for a mule to smuggle cocaine from Peru to Spain. Speaking after her release from prison, Michaela said she became friendly with this guy, a Colombian who went by the name of Enrique. Sounds so sexy, doesn't it? Well, it just sounds like a typical Colombian name, yeah. I'm called Enrique. So according to her, she didn't know that he was on the lookout for a drugs mule. Um, He just asked her if she would accompany a member of the gang to Barcelona for a couple of days, purely to keep him company. She agreed, and when the day came to travel, five weeks after she'd landed on Ibiza, Michaela actually found herself travelling alone and to Mallorca, where she then met up with Melissa Reed before the pair flew on to Peru to collect a consignment of cocaine, with the intention of bringing it back to Spain. Hang on, so he tells her that she's only got to go to one place to Barcelona for a couple of days. But she then she finds herself in Mallorca. Look at the plane tickets. Well, that she's picked I'm going to go on. on to, I'm going to go on to it now. I mean, obviously, I'll cover off. You know what happened <laughs> in Peru in a minute. But if, if like Beth and you're thinking this all sounds a bit crazy and a bit hazy and doesn't really make much sense, then you'd definitely be right, and there is a reason for that. Prior to the planned trip to Barcelona to keep this gang member company, Michaela had been up for four days straight, binging on every drug known to man, and she hadn't slept what must have felt like an eternity. So I think her recollections of this time are definitely a bit confused, and I don't think even she could explain how she actually was supposed to be going to Barcelona, but ended up in Mallorca without the other gang member. She's. I reckon she's just trying to make up something now. Oh, you might I was be right. To go to Barcelona. Yeah. Yeah, you might be right. So when Michaela arrived in Mallorca, she was introduced to Melissa Reed, the other member of the Peru Two, and told that she would be going with her to Peru, where the pair would collect the cocaine before smuggling it back to Spain. For their troubles, the girls would each be paid five thousand euros, and they would get to enjoy two weeks all expenses paid in Peru. So this sounds pretty good to me. I just that sounds lovely 5,000 euros I hope that's each not just between them two weeks all expenses that's lovely but for how much cocaine they're smuggling Jesus that's not enough yeah 1.5 million pounds I know I think like I'd be like I'll do it for 50,000 pounds in the two weeks everyone's got a price for Bethan it's 50k any um, big drug cartels out there want to get in touch? Yeah. 50,000, please, for Bethan. We'll introduce Mads. <laughs> um, I don't know how much I would want. I'd have to have, like, half a million. Do you think so? To risk it, yeah. 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 
Oh, someone's expensive. Yeah. So anyway, um, the girls spent a few days getting to know each other in Mallorca before their trip to Peru. Um, They stayed in an apartment together, sharing a bed, enjoying lazy days on the beach and just basically getting pissed. And I'm not saying that they shared a bed to get all lesbo and all they were like motting each other out and stuff. Oh my God, what the fuck? I'm going to come on to that in a second about like why I kind of had to say they were sharing a bed. So um, they they really enjoyed themselves over there um, on the beach, basically. Getting pissed, having some lazy days, and getting to know each other. You've said some really bad things on this podcast. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Possibly one of the most unpc. Oh, I just don't give a fuck. Um, But it wasn't all fun, as I said. Michaela had been partying hard for weeks by now, and she remembers fitting numerous times in the bed she shared with Melissa over the course of those lazy days in Mallorca. Mm. That's why I wanted to say they were sharing a bed. That's like set in the context uh, like basically they would go to bed go to bed at night they were just sharing a bed normally and in the middle of the night Melissa would be woken by Michaela fitting because she was coming down hard from all the drugs that she'd been taking which is sad really Mm. but Michaela does say that Melissa really kind of jollied her on and supported her at that time but yeah she was in a bad way Um, she was coming down hard um, and actually Michaela remembers when she did arrive in uh, Palm Airport in Mallorca to board a flight to Peru. She was drunk, and when she arrived in Lima, she was sober, and it was the first time she'd been sober in weeks. Oh, and God. she arrived thinking, "Oh fuck, what have I agreed to do?" But it was too late already. Wow, get on a plane back to Northern Ireland. But she was already in with like major crime members of this gang, South American drugs gang. <sighs> that just you're in too deep. Yeah, no, that just shits me up. I'm just like, no, you get off the plane at Lima. And you just go get on another flight back to somewhere else. But it almost paints the picture that, you know, she just, I don't know, obviously she ended up in Mallorca. She's sort of drunk, um, coming down hard from all the drugs she's been taking for several weeks, drunkenly agrees to go to Peru to kind of collect these drugs and smuggle them. And then, yeah, just lands in Peru thinking, shit, what have I agreed to? I do get that, but I just, I'm struggling to find sympathy because I'm just like, we've all had great holidays where we've got way too drunk. Not saying we've all done this many drugs that we've had fits and forgotten that we weren't going to Barcelona and we ended up in Lima, but I don't know. I know, I know. It's all a bit crazy, isn't it? It is. I don't. I think there is a lot of opportunities for her to have got out of this. Yeah, probably. She probably saw Euro signs and was mm. like, I'm in. Um, so anyway, going back a little bit, the girls were told to travel to Lima separately with Melissa heading out there one day before Michaela. And I have to say at this point, I've not really spoken much about Melissa Reed, And there is a reason for that. Essentially, she hasn't spoken to the media much. Um, so this story really is very much from Michaela's point of view. Mm-hmm. She has done lots of interviews. She's featured in documentaries. So, um, yeah, she's been much more vocal about it. But it does seem to me that Melissa was perhaps the dominant force in all of this. Yeah, maybe that's why Michaela now is talking about it a bit more. Because she's realised that, shit, what have I done? Yeah, maybe. And that's why Melissa's keeping quiet. Yeah. Um, So, yeah, as I say, in the documentaries that I've watched and in articles that I've read, there are people out there who say Melissa Reed was very well connected to the gang and very much on the inside. So not just a basic bitch drugs mule recruited for a drugs run. I think, you know, maybe she was orchestrating some of this. Uh, You know, the fact that she went out to Lima one one day before Michaela. Um, I've read some of the text messages exchanged between the pair. To me, it just seems like Melissa was taking control a lot. And Michaela was quite vulnerable at this Mm. time. You know, was Melissa taking advantage of that? Yeah, and I suppose if she's good at persuading her, 
then she'd maybe take advantage of like giving her more drugs and drink and stuff and using that to her advantage. Oh, we're on dangerous territory here, but these are just our opinions. Obviously. Yeah. (laughs) So, um, yeah, I do kind of wonder, was there a much grander plan? Mm-hmm. Was Michaela to be used as a diversion at the airport? Was she being set up by Melissa so that she could then pass through untouched? And was then Melissa double-crossed by the gang at the last minute? I don't know. Ooh. My own little conspiracy theory, and I may be wrong, but um, yeah, it just seems a bit off to me. Oh, I'm intrigued now. Yeah, so we'll perhaps never know the answer to that. But but yeah, I do wonder if Melissa had a you know greater hand in all of this and... Michaela was there to be used as a, a sort of decoy mm-hmm. so Melissa could pass through, but the gang kind of double-crossed her at the last minute. I just don't know. I've just kind of added it because we love a conspiracy. I do love a conspiracy theory. Good point. Anyway, back to Peru. Neither of the girls were impressed with their destination when they arrived with Michaela texting Melissa to say, quote, I hate this place and the people already. And Melissa responding rather eloquently, I thought, with, quote, Lima is shit. Oh, hush. So with both girls now in shitty Lima, their remit was to spend two weeks travelling around Peru, visiting the sites, documenting this in various photographs so that it would look like a genuine holiday, like a girl's holiday that they were having. And this was all um, an all-expenses-paid trip. And as I, as I say, you know, um, documented in photos. And from the photos I've seen, it genuinely looked like the girls were having a nice time, chilling out on the beach, taking in the sights. They seemed quite happy. For two mm. weeks. And I think it's a sort of thing that you know you've got to do this at the end of the trip, but you're probably just forgetting that for the two weeks and trying to yeah. put it to the back of your mind. So the day before the pair were due to leave for Spain, Michaela was told to collect the drugs from an address in Lima. And again, she's the one taking the risk there. When she arrived back at the hotel the girls were staying in, they spent a couple of hours packing their cases, concealing the drugs in the boxes of Quaker oats, possibly sampling them as they went along. I don't know. <laughs> I'm just kind I of. I don't know if this this horrible drug gang. Would you want to risk it if I you're willing know. to risk your freedom? Make them work a bit quicker, wouldn't it? Oh. So I think what you know what I probably would say at this point and what you've already kind of touched on there's probably a different tone to this episode um and I don't have much sympathy for this pair it has to be said usually when we tell a story it's from the point of view of the victim not always but usually at least there is a victim or several victims we know their names we empathize with their fate but in this case we don't actually have any victims so maybe that's why I'm being a little bit more harsh yeah I definitely agree with that I think that's why it feels a bit of a different episode and I wanted to have a bit of fun. You can be so a bit first more one back after a couple of weeks. They're the ones who did this to themselves. So whilst you will have some sympathy for the situation they end them up, up in, it's it is kind of like, do you know what you've done this to yourself? Yeah, it's a stupid risk to mm. accept. And I say we don't have any victims, but had these girls managed to successfully smuggle the drugs, they would have flooded Europe with cocaine, yeah. and they could have caused untold damage. Exactly, it's not technically victimless if it had actually gone ahead. I completely agree. So back to the story, with the girls' cases packed and a car en route to pick them up at 3am the next morning to take them to the airport, they tried to grab a few hours of sleep, but Michaela couldn't shake the feeling of fear that night. She was sick with nerves and knew she couldn't back out now or walk away. As I said earlier, she was in with Colombian drug lords and there was no way they would allow her to change her mind now. So I think it is one of them. It's You are in deep. Yeah, if she wasn't going to say something right at the beginning or get out of it, she's fucked, fucked now. 
Resigned to the task that lay ahead, she tried to stay positive. After all, the gang members had informed her that customs, officials and airport police had been paid off and so there was no danger of them being caught. And with the prospect of a €5,000 payday now just 24 hours away, maybe this was a good idea after all. Maybe she and Melissa would be toasting their success tomorrow night back on Spanish soil, splashing the cash and planning their next drugs run. Maybe this was how she could fund herself on a long-term basis and continue to stay in Ibiza. Maybe I'm talking shit because that didn't happen. (laughs) Morning soon came and before they knew it, the girls found themselves queuing to check in for their flight to Spain. It was a long queue that morning and the girls tried to act naturally as they waited in line. When they got to the front of the queue, they handed over their passports and just as Melissa put a case on the conveyor belt, she noticed a security guard looking at her. He had a dog with him and was wearing a t-shirt promoting the airport's anti-drug smuggling stance. A security guard, a sniffer dog, wearing a t-shirt saying drug smugglers will be caught, staring at you and your luggage. I mean, you couldn't make this up. No. You would just be shitting yourself. And like when you think about like standing in a queue, it's a bit like when you're a bit too drunk to get into a club and everyone's like, just act normal, act normal. This is like that times a million. And it is really hard. And I think this literally is one of those moments where your legs would just turn to jelly. Mm-hmm. And I think it'd feel like everything's happening in slow motion as you go into shock. And you can almost see what is going to happen next. And I, I know, you know, we've kind of joked about doing this ourselves. We'd never do it. I know I would be the world's worst drug smuggler. Mm. I might as well have a sign around my neck saying drugs in that bag. Yeah. Arrest me now. Mm-hmm. I'm just such a pussy. Yeah. So Michaela hadn't noticed the guard staring at Melissa and she went to put a bag on the conveyor belt when she noticed something brush past her leg. It was a security guard's dog. The man addressed the pair in broken English and asked them to remove their cases from the conveyor belt and to follow him to a secure room. I'm always, I know it's going off on a tangent, but I'm always so impressed by drug drug sniffing dogs that they know like that that's their job. <laughs> they are so clever. They're so clever. And they can smell things like guns, obviously They're bodies, for, we know like, that. What to look for, aren't they? Yeah. yeah, it's so clever what they can do. My mum and dad's friend um had a dog that didn't pass the drug dog thing for the police because he'd get too excited. So rather than going and like sitting down next to wherever the drugs were, he'd just run at people and jump on them and, and be like, himself. "Oh my god." No, but he'd be like making too much of a scene. Um, so then he couldn't like pass the tests and everything, so he didn't get the job. Um, but then he would then like if they were out and there were some kiddies who had weed in their pockets or something, he'd go running after them. Oh, so amazing. it was like hilarious because the kids would be like, "What the hell?" And then she'd just be like, "He's a drug dog." <laughs> yeah, I'd be like, "Yeah, you've got drugs on you." <laughs> but they'd just be like kids hanging around in a park with some weed, but then it would like shit them up. So, yeah. Good. <laughs> so the girls were understandably panicking at this point, but mm. there was a small part of them that thought this was all part of the plan. Yeah. Surely this guy had been bribed and he was just going through the motions. Perhaps one of his superiors had said, these girls look suspicious, you need to check their cases. And he was just going to kind of like check them and wave them through. Mm. Yeah, especially when you've been guaranteed that by the yeah. drug lords. However, as soon as other customs officials arrived and strip searched the girls, they knew this was the end for them. In true banged up abroad style, the girls were filmed as their cases were opened, with the drugs being held up to the camera by the gleeful officials. 
And you can see footage on YouTube. And if you are familiar with this case, then you will definitely have seen the photo of the pair posing in front of their suitcases as customs officials uh, go through their bags and all mm. that kind of shit. Um, and I did, I really did ask Bethan if she would do a mock-up of oh the photo God. with me that we could put on Instagram. And she said no. There's a line that and I'm I, not that I wanted to, to cross. cross. <laughs> There's Never a line mind. of coke that we're not willing to no. cross. Um, so we would definitely put up that yeah. photo, though it's, the original. It, yeah, it's in the um, And please comment on that photo if you would like yeah. to see me and Bethan do our take on it. I would have loved to have done that. We'll need to have. We'll have to think of like how many. If we can get like sixty comments, we'll do it. What saying? No, that if they we want... can get if we can get two hundred likes, we'll do it. What on the just on on the photo of Michaela and. Melissa, mm. of their photo. Let us know whether you think that's completely inappropriate, guys, or if you think it would be fucking hilarious. I think it would be and fun. We'll see. <laughs> I think it would be fun. So the girls were handcuffed and told they were going to be taken to a police station in Lima. And speaking years later, Michaela recalled how she just wished that she could curl up into a ball and die. You can understand that. You'd just be... Well, like, you'd think uh, it's the only way out at yeah. this point. So by this time, Michaela had not been in touch with her family for nearly two weeks. Ordinarily, she would speak to them nearly every day. And she was also regularly updating her Facebook page, but she'd kind of gone rogue. So upon leaving Ibiza, she thought she was just going to go to Barcelona for a couple of days. So she'd not told any of her new friends in Ibiza that she was going anywhere. And the same with her family, they didn't know. So when she ended up in Mallorca and then Peru where she claims the gang confiscated her phone, she couldn't get in touch. And it appeared to her friends and family that she'd basically fallen off a cliff. Wow. Um, disappeared off the face of the earth. Her family had been trying to make contact with her, but to no avail, and were extremely concerned for her welfare at this time. They reported a missing two police back home in Northern Ireland. That was terrible, wasn't it? Mm -hmm. And also to the authorities <laughs> in Ibiza. Officials didn't seem too concerned, however party girl goes missing in Ibiza happens all the time surely maybe she'd just gone on some monumental bender and had lost her phone I don't know and I think as well like around San Antonio like the police just and the locals just hate all the party goers yeah they just don't give a shit it's messy it's dirty I remember reading like a newspaper where it was just like the locals are up in arms and it's kind of like well, that is your tourism and you know that that's where your income is going to come but from I but I do it's get still it. very I annoying I do get it yeah yeah, and the police have got no patience because they're just like, oh, drunk English people, basically, most They of must the time, have such so. a poor opinion of us. <laughs> yeah. So news soon spread around the bars of San Antonio that Michaela was missing, however, and the locals were a bit more proactive, putting posters up in shop windows, but people were literally thinking that she was going to turn up any day dead in a ditch. Um, and in a desperate appeal on Facebook at the time, Michaela's sister wrote, quote, my sister Michaela McCollum has been non-contactable for the last nine days. Her phone is off and her Facebook pages have no activity. Michaela has been living in Ibiza in San Antonio Bay for the last few weeks. The last reports of Michaela are that she may have been in Barcelona or Madrid. These reports may or may not be true. Michaela would have contacted home at least every two or three days to let us know she was okay. None of Michaela's new friends in Ibiza have been able to contact her also and the proper authorities have been notified and are helping us to trace her whereabouts. Michaela comes from a very close and loving family and we are all extremely worried that she hasn't been in contact and that we cannot contact her. If anybody has seen her or has any information at all, please PM me. When Michaela got to the police station and was permitted to call her mother back in Northern Ireland, the woman was relieved to hear her daughter's voice 
to know that she was at least alive, but relief soon turned to sheer terror. On the other end of the crackly line was the familiar voice of Michaela, screaming at her mother that she was in Peru and that she was in prison. Michaela said it was the hardest call that she'd ever had to make. She came from a religious family and this sort of thing just happened to other people. Her mother didn't even know where Peru was and as the news sank in she could at least contact the family lawyer Peter Madden and he and Michaela's brother immediately flew to Peru. Both Melissa and Michaela claimed they had been held in an apartment in Mallorca for four days at gunpoint and then forced to go to Peru to bring the drugs back with them. Michaela was so convincing in a story, even describing how it felt to have the cold metal barrel of a gun pressed to her forehead and the terror she felt at this. But this was all lies. Nevertheless, the girls stuck to their story for many months whilst they were being held in the country's notorious Virgin de Fatima prison as they awaited their fate. Prosecutors told the girls if they stuck to their story they would face up to 15 years in jail, but if they came clean and told the truth they would receive much shorter sentences. And so, in a court hearing on the 1st of October, the girls finally admitted their guilt and were sentenced in December that year to 6 years and 8 months in prison, and they were both fined €3,500. Their sentence of six years and eight months was the most lenient sentence allowed and the girls are believed to have been granted this as a result of giving up all of the information they had on this gang and I think I would much rather have a longer sentence than grass up a Colombian drugs cartel Mm. because I think otherwise you're going to be looking over your shoulder for the rest of your life. I think you are anyway though. Probably, yeah. Yeah, whether you give them up or not. Yeah. Is, is, she's so lucky though that she was able to ring her mum and her mum straight away got her yeah. like family and also the lawyer on the plane and everything because there's a lot of people who would be even more vulnerable who wouldn't have someone that they could call yeah and and the girls were really lucky actually because 40 mm. percent i kind of alluded to this earlier but 40 percent of the peruvian prison population don't even have a sentence really? wow. yeah they are literally just languishing in jail which is just terrible. Mm. When you compare that to, you know, normal kind of justice systems in developed countries, it's shocking. Yeah. Speaking after the sentencing, prosecutors clearly revelling in the publicity around the case explained how the girls had been caught. They said they had attracted attention as soon as they joined the queue at check-in. They apparently appeared nervous and were acting suspiciously, but I have major issues with this. I think it's bullshit. I think they would have been nervous. Yeah, of course they would have. But can you really pick that out from a massive line and be suspicious enough to call them into an office and strip search them? Oh, see, I disagree with you. I think, yeah. I think they would have been acting weird. And these people's job is to spot people who are acting like they're up to something. Potentially. I'm Mm. not, I'm not saying like absolutely not, but my personal opinion is, I know I've kind of said perhaps Melissa had a bit more bit more to do with it but I think you know at the very least customs officials at the airport had been tipped off I think the drug gang the girls were working for had used both of them perhaps as a decoy so I think and there the, were other drug mules yeah, at the time do you think absolutely I think the gang tipped off the authorities that the girls were carrying the drugs meaning all attention was then diverted to them thus allowing some other mules that the gang were using to pass through undetected mm, interesting 
And I think really it's like a win-win situation because the Peruvian authorities arrest the girls. They get to make an example of them, filming them as their cases are being searched. And then they release that footage to the world's media. And that kind of appears to everybody that they're cracking down on the drug gangs that operate in their country. Yeah, but then also along the side, there's people still getting through. Yeah, because the gang are going to lose some of the coke, but maybe the other mules are carrying 20 kilos. Three million quid's worth. I don't know. But it's quite a common thing, apparently, to to happen. So, as I said, perhaps Melissa Reed did have a greater role in all of this. um, And it was Michaela that was supposed to be used as a patsy. um, But then Melissa was double-crossed. We just don't know. We don't know. There is a common misconception, though, that everybody is corrupt in these kind of South American countries and that drugs traffickers can just bribe their way out of a sentence. So drugs barons that recruit mules will often tell them that they're safe and that they've bribed the police um, so they won't get caught. But this is often just to relax them so that they don't attract suspicion or so that they're more willing to take the risk for what is essentially a bit of a a meagre payday, I suppose. Mm. And as I've alluded to, um, often the gangs will use two sets of mules, one to act as a decoy. So you need to watch out. If you're ever asked to be a drugs mule, check you're not the decoy. Yeah, absolutely. And then if they say you're not the decoy, don't trust them. And you Good know, idea. You know you're the it's good decoy. advice. That's, what I was, that's my little public service announcement for today. For, for this week, loving it. Check if you're the drugs mule decoy. If you are, then you are. Either way, uh, okay. either way, you're screwed. Just don't don't okay. smell the drugs. Perfect. <laughs> so the prison where the girls were initially held, the Virgin de Fatima Women's Prison, had an appalling reputation with conditions described as dire. Former inmates have said that bullying and prostitution are commonplace as a means of survival, particularly for the poorer women there. Overcrowding is a main problem with Peru's prison system and according to the charity Prisoners Abroad, Virgin de Fatima was at over 200% of capacity at the time the girls were incarcerated there. The charity said people often have to sleep on the floors, in corridors or even in the toilet areas, adding because of the overcrowding, infectious diseases such as tuberculosis and HIV are constant concerns. So, you know, also violence is prevalent in these prisons so they are really not nice places to be throw in uh to the mix a complicated legal system and a foreign language which neither of these girls spoke it did appear that this was not going to end well for them however fortune appears to favor the brave as the girls were able to spend the vast majority of their sentences at the Ancon 2 prison on the outskirts of Lima which was a modern facility where overcrowding at the and the associated problems this brings were not an issue and the girls adapted quickly to life inside Ancon 2 with both of them working in a salon in the prison and in the end the girls spent less than three years there before being allowed home And I think they were so lucky. Um, And post-prison, they've had very different fates, actually. So Michaela, the one whose uh, point of view we've really told the story Mm. from, um, her sister said that she always wanted to be famous, and she definitely has achieved a (laughs) level of fame. I think it's infamy more than famous, Well, I think it is, but, like, she's had a massive makeover. She's, like, fit as fuck now. She is gorgeous. She looks stunning. We'll put, um, like, an updated photo of her on. She's got over 20,000 followers on Instagram. She's done loads of interviews. I've seen pictures of her driving, like, brand-new Audis, Mm. um, living, like, absolutely her best 
best life and I know that she's signed a book deal and made money from that so you know she really has kind of taken to the post-prison life very well <laughs> um, I would say whereas Melissa um, really has settled back into quite a normal life in Scotland and was last known I think circa 2017 uh, to be working at Citizens Advice Bureau helping other people that's quite a normal place to work so I don't know yeah. whether she was volunteering there you know post-prison or whether wow. it was a proper job but you know good for her and I say she went back to a normal life but actually um, this was not the life that Melissa led before she found herself in prison um, she has since commented that she had she not ended up in prison she could possibly have ended up dead because of the destructive life that she was leading so in pretty much the only interview that she's ever given post-release, she talked of leading quite a hedonistic life of drug abuse, mixing in dangerous circles. Um, and when you see what she looks like now, it appears as though she's really embraced that quieter life, which sounds really judgmental. But she looks so different. She looks just like a, a really normal mm, person yeah. who's getting the head down. And, you know, the kind of difference between her and Michaela now couldn't be... Uh, yeah. more vast it's interesting as well because you sort of said that melissa was to you perhaps the ringleader perhaps yeah. the, the driving force and then actually of the two of them she's not come back and been that out there character so that's quite interesting you know but... lesson learned i mm, think very much perhaps, for her. yeah and i'm really pleased for her and i say lesson learned for her but you know i have to say michaela has also shown a lot of remorse at what she did yeah and has completely accepted that had she been successful she would have flooded europe with cocaine mm. and it would have caused you know horrific damage to people so she has shown that remorse so um, that is it. What do you think of today's case? It's a little bit different for us. I think it's very much a cautionary tale of two young women seeking a quick buck, two women willing to take a risk who ended up getting caught. But whilst they were unlucky, what of the other mules who do this on a daily basis? They get away with it. How long until they find themselves banged up abroad? Thank you for listening. Yeah, that was really interesting. I really enjoyed that. And I did, it is different. It's a different case Different for one for us, yeah. Um, and quite quite an interesting one. There's a lot to it, certainly in terms of post-release. Certainly look at Michaela McCollum. Um, really interesting in terms of mm. what she's done since she's left prison. Um, but both girls are, you know, absolutely working to turn their lives around. I know Michaela had twin boys recently. Um, so, yeah. I think it's, like, really interesting that they did this They've done the time for what they did and now they can get on with their lives and I think that's very good. They haven't and I think that's gone fair. back to it afterwards or anything. They've learned their lesson. Um, yeah. So don't forget to let us know um, by liking the photo and commenting. Mm. If you would like to see me and Bethan in a mock-up of that, you probably won't because it won't be that funny, but I just thought it would be funny. Um, oh, Mark. So as I said, you can find us on Instagram. You can also find us on Twitter and Facebook. Yeah, and you can also, like we said at the beginning, find us on Patreon, um, patreon.com forward slash Podcast if you'd like to support the show by chucking a bit of money at us each month. Yeah, hopefully you can help us to be here for a long time, not just a good time. Oh, that's um a bit horrific. cheesy. Yeah, yeah, that's so horrific. <laughs> well, we hope you enjoyed the episode. Yeah, and please... thanks for coming back after our yeah, break. Yeah, thank you so much. And yeah. please, please do get in touch and let us know what you thought of the case. Yeah, definitely. And if you've ever been a drugs mule... Oh, I would love well, to hear from you. Well, actually, don't tell us, because if you put that on social media and tell nah, us, it might get you into trouble. I guess. Maybe don't tell us, but yeah. Until next time. See you soon, guys. Bye. Bye.
Hi angels, it's your girl Louise Romball and I'm the host of the Open House podcast. Therapy quite literally changed my life and sent me straight into my hot healing girl era. Now each week I share my story, the good, the bad and the downright juicy and chat with some of the world's best therapists, psychologists and wellness experts. From love, sex and dating to attachment styles, nervous system regulation, wellness hacks, hormone balancing and more, nothing is off the table. I've emptied my bank account on therapy and healing so you don't have to. So if you're ready to leave the past in the past and build the future you've always deserved, me and my favorite experts are waiting for you on the Open House podcast. Listen now wherever you stream your podcasts and I cannot wait to meet you.